Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. We all know the words, one nation under God. We've spoken them since childhood. But what are their real meanings? Let's talk with Kevin James, Associate Director for Public Affairs and Religious Liberty for the Southern Union of Seventh-day Adventists. He's talking to us from his office in Norcross, Georgia. Kevin, what's your take on these powerful and often misunderstood words? Well, it's got an interesting history, One Nation Under God. It was not in the original pledge that uh, Mr. Bellamy had put together back in about 1898, the whole purpose of it. Even though he was a Christian, his purpose in making the pledge was to encourage and engender support from young people for the flag and for their country, fostering patriotism and those kind of things. He was a Baptist, in fact, and probably wouldn't have been too interested in the one nation under God being put there. That happened during a time of crisis in our country, when the Cold War was just getting heated up, so to speak. Many groups felt the need to make a very clear distinction between the godless Soviets Mm -hmm. and us God-fearing Americans on the other side of the pond. Mm -hmm. And so Eisenhower was pressed very heavily upon that point and thought that we need to include one nation under God, uh, this phrase in the, in the pledge to engender that reality of us as a godly nation, and he did that on uh, Flag Day in June of uh, 1954. And so since then, we've had one nation under God. Americans have always had kind of an exceptionalism and a, and a special place in God's work, so to speak, yes. uh, in many of the uh, settlements and the colonies that came to this country. So it wasn't surprising in a lot of ways that One Nation Under God you know, was put into the pledge because there was a very strong history where Americans have felt very special about it. But the question comes, I think, where people get kind of mixed up a little bit, is that when we talk about Christian America, what are we saying about Christian America? Are we saying that we have been legally founded as a Christian nation? Are we culturally a Christian nation? Uh, How do we look at that? And so one nation under God can mean different things for different people when they say that. So our manifest destiny is to be who we are and to to spread the good news of, of, of Jesus and God as a nation. But that's not working out so well. Why is it not working, and how can we make it better? I was part of a... of an interesting gathering back when Jerry Falwell was alive. I uh, was just kind of an observer of what was going on. It was up in Washington, D.C. had a series of meetings up there where what they were doing is trying to encourage uh, pastors at that time to educate their congregations into voting in the right way, and we would get God back into America and, and turn the ship around, so to speak. And um, there was a very interesting sermon. It was a keynote speaker that day that preached, and just to give it, I'll try to get this really simplified here to kind of address this, to kind of get a picture of this whole, how much the under God really inspires people. And um, in that sermon, the preacher started out with a World War II story where Hitler was going around at the time with his Nazi party talking with religious organizations. And while he was doing it in one place, a gentleman, one of the pastors stood up and said, Sir, we're not worried about our country 
Jesus Christ can take care of that. We're worried about the soul of our country, not the church, but the soul of our country. And uh, anyway, they, uh, some of their pastors felt he was kind of a dissident voice, so they kind of moved him out of the hallway, and, and it was reported that Hitler said, well, you can leave the soul of the country to me. Ooh. Well, that was the opening storyline. And then, of course, the body of the sermon was all about the mandate that pastors have in America to challenge your congregations, encourage your congregations, inform their congregations about voting the right people with the right policies and turning America around. And then at the very end of this sermon, he gives us uh, a mandate at the very end. He talked about uh, uh, shepherds of God's flock, you know, for the sake of our country, for the, to the obedience of Jesus Christ. He goes all the way down and finally says, you can leave the soul of the country to us. Mm. And um, I thought that was really interesting when I heard that, because my question was, you know, can we safely leave the soul of the country? I mean, I'm a Christian. I, I, I'm, I'm very biased in that sense. Mm-hmm. But can we leave it? Because, you know, historically, Charles, when Christianity has been blended with politics, it's never turned out very well. <laughs> it certainly has not. No. <laughs> for either state or church. And so I had an interest in that. I got to looking in the Bible, looking at uh, One Nation Under God and trying to understand it. I ended up coming to a conclusion that really the only nation that's truly under God is the church. Hmm. Hmm. That uh, we find in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where he talks us about the holy nation, that Peter actually uses the same terminology that God used back in Exodus 19, when he was first bringing about Israel and forming them into this holy nation, he called them himself. He was actually forming this people under the, you might say, the Constitution of the Ten Commandments, right. under this, um, uh, this, this testament that they were going to ascribe to be a part of, and they would be this holy nation. And um, Peter uses that very same terminology as a holy nation, right out of Exodus, and applies it to the Church. And so I came away from a very clear sense and conviction that knowing that this nation was not founded a legally Christian nation, it has uh, the separation of Church and State. The Constitution is a secular document. It's not a religious document. And knowing that the formation of our country, I got to think about this one nation of God. There's no doubt in my mind that God has blessed America for a lot of different reasons. But I think especially because we've had the separation of church and state, right. and we have been fortunate not to be caught up in religious bloodbaths like Europe has been for centuries over the differences of belief and political powers that be at the time and things that our founding fathers were very aware of at the time and wanted to escape. And so when you think about the history, when you think about the one nation on God, I do believe God is has blessed us, but I think precisely because we've had the separation of church and state, and that we shouldn't do anything that would promote any one religion, so to speak. And I find that, that that's very important, but that in my study, I finally came to the conclusion that the real nation under God is the church, and that's wherever it's found in the world, whoever the believers of, of true believers are in God. I really like that. That is very clear in, in concept. A lot of Christians, uh, let's go back to what there seems to be a common desire among Christianity, is that we need to be under God again. What is the danger there? Identify it for us. If we say one nation under God, what is your next response? Okay, what is, and then what would you say after that? 
Well, I would say, well, what would that look like? Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I say, well, what are we saying by that? And what God would we want to be a nation under? Okay. And, you know, in our country, there's a lot of different views of God, because we have a lot of different religions. And then I would say, well, what does that mean? I mean, what do we mean if we're one nation under God, and we want to bring that nation back into God? What's that going to look like? Yeah. What if yeah. you don't believe in God? Mm-hmm. Or what if you don't believe in the God that the other religion believes in? Who's to say? Because of our history, most of the One Nation Under God interest comes with those that have Judeo-Christian backgrounds. And that's usually what is being supported. And uh, you see that in different ways, in language and things that are said here a few years ago, for example. Congress, and I forget what year this was in, but Congress finally had its first Hindu legislator give a prayer (laughs) at at Congress, I believe, on the the, um, federal level. Mm And some people really had a hard time with that. Uh, there was a lot of decrying the fact that we don't know what God is, pre- you know, he's going to be praying to. And it was the first Hindu that ever prayed in, in Congress. So that's where you start seeing that when people are thinking about under God, they're thinking more in terms of Judeo-Christian. And that's the only God. But then right there was a very perfect example of, well... Obviously, not all religions are free to participate fully in the process, at least in praying in Congress, if you don't believe in the Judeo-Christian God. And so right there, you're already beginning with a problem, showing what the problem would be if you start seeking ways to bring God back legislatively. And you hinted a few minutes ago that this blending of church and state has not gone well. Give us an example of that as we come to the last three minutes of our program. Give us an example of how being under God can cause some real problems in this world. I think probably one of the more modern examples of this would be, you know, you take Saudi Arabia, for example. I'm not picking on Islam here, but that's a clear state church, Yes, Islam. And much of the, the laws are, are governed by that. There's no proselytizing in Saudi Arabia. There are other houses of worship of other religions, but you can't have any proselytizing. You have to be very careful about the things that you say uh, in your um, organizations that are not Islam. If you can't say anything against Islam, you can't, you know, uh, appear to be um, undermining the state religion. That's the kind of Thing that we're talking about. You're looking where you just don't have that freedom to express anymore. And uh, certainly there's, uh, for many people, there's a lot of concerns about human rights and things like that. I mean, women can't drive, for example, in Saudi Arabia. I mean, I'm just picking out just one country sure. that, that has sure. it. I'm not trying to look at the religion itself. I'm just saying that when you have those two blended together, the church and the state, you start running into all sorts of human rights issues and freedoms of expression that really, when you keep church and state separate, you you have a better deal. I'm thinking about something you said on a previous program, how we really need to have the different factions of this nation sit down and talk to each other, so that when we make rules and regulations, when we say under God, we are willing to compromise that some people are not going to be under our God, and they have to recognize that I, that we're not going to be under their God. There has to be that compromise. And do you think America is walking that line now? Are we safe and sound walking the line under all the gods? I think religious liberty is something that needs to, if it's being debated, I think that's healthy. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, when, we, when we sit back on our laurels and think that, you know, we are doing fine and we're fine in that middle line, 
You know, I'm not so sure sometimes. I think there's a healthy debate is a good debate to have. And I think we're trying to move towards that. But there's still, as I said, there's great changes going on in our country, great cultural changes that are taking place, big movements that are happening, and they're happening very quickly. And right now, I think things are kind of messy. It's uh, you, yes. You've got really extreme ends who want to get rid of religion, you know, completely in the public square. There are those groups that want to do that. There are groups that, you know, want to implant Christianity in the public square as a religion, Judeo-Christian religion, as the governing aspect uh, of society. So we're debating it heavily right now. I think that's helpful. It would be good that we would have good and respectful discussions more than just the we want it our way or no way kind of thinking. Mm. Kevin James, Associate Director for Public Affairs and Religious Liberty for the Southern Union of Seventh-day Adventists. Kevin, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Appreciate it. Good to be here again. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Kevin James inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about LifeQuest Liberty, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651 or email us through our website at 3abn.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of liberty burning in your heart today. 